0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: The Science of Sports podcast with Professor Ross Tucker and sports journalist Mike Finch. Bonjour and welcome to another episode of The Science of Sports. I am Ross Tucker and I am in Paris, not quite with a view of the Eiffel Tower, but if I walked out of my hotel, took a short ride, right, and then walked up a small hill, I would have a view of Paris's iconic landmark. And the reason I'm in Paris is because, of course, this weekend, the Rugby World Cup kicks off. Friday night is the opening match between the hosts France and New Zealand's All Blacks. should be an amazing start to what I hope becomes a fabulous World Cup that is dominated by good news stories and amazing rugby, as opposed to some of the Not so good things, although I'm sure there will be some. And as always, we will be ready to confront and tackle those. Things like injuries in players with a specific focus on concussion. So certainly as this tournament develops, we'll take the opportunity to talk a little bit about concussion management and concussion prevention and what it all means for the sport and its players. Now, the reason I'm in Paris is is mostly related to concussion. We had a big meeting yesterday with the team doctors of all the participating teams, as well as the match day doctors. And the latter group, the match day doctors, is a group that is provided by the host union. So they are French physicians who are on site at each game to collaborate and support the team doctors in all injury management and medical procedures, including the head injury assessment and yesterday's meeting was really just an introduction, it was to explain to people how things work, who goes where, who makes what call, how head injuries are identified and then screened and again all the doctors know this, they've been using the same protocols for a decade, more than that now, uh, but it was really just a chance to meet one another and run through exactly how it would work. So that was a productive and important meeting. And then I discovered that, in fact, while I'm here, that Sean Engel, who's a reporter with The Guardian and well-known to regular listeners, was also here doing a little bit of work for his paper. And I found out that he would be collecting his accreditation. And I said, well, why don't we just catch up? We long overdue a chat. And he kindly agreed. And so that's what this episode is. It's an all-encompassing chat about track and field, Budapest, a little bit on boxing, a little bit on rugby, and just generally, the interesting kind of things that Sean Engel is all about. I'll apologize in advance for the early sound. It does get better after a minute, so bear with us and enjoy our chat with Sean Engel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Science of Sport. Look who I found in Roland Garros, which is where I'm sitting right now. This is where the World Rugby Media Centre has been set up for the 2023 Rugby World Cup. As I mentioned in a recent post, I'm out here for the week and then I will be back in October for the last few rounds. But this week's all about setting up the medical infrastructures and meeting with team doctors, match day doctors and so on. And so we've had a number of those meetings in the last few days and looking forward to sharing with you some insights that you wouldn't believe how much medical infrastructure goes into a tournament like this. We're talking literally dozens of doctors from the local organizing committee, The teams obviously themselves have their doctors, there are a handful of nurses assigned per team, there are paramedics per team, there are immediate care leads, there are specialists, orthopedic, you can just imagine the size of it, it's it's quite something. And Obviously the medical and the scientific side of the sport is significant, it's uh, I hope not going to be one of the main stories of this Rugby World Cup because you'd rather discuss the actual game, but because of the issues around rugby at the moment particularly with regard to head impacts and head injuries concussions it does become a talking point so we'll cover that for sure but not right now right now what we want to do is just catch up with sean because sean is as many of you know uh chief sports writer at the guardian that's still correct chief sports reporter but sports reporter at the guardian uh and he was recently in budapest and we were hoping to get sean on then but Writing three articles a day and running around Budapest covering all the British performances ended up being too much time, and so we couldn't do it. But fortunately, here we are in Paris. So welcome, Sean. You recovered from Budapest? Absolutely, it was a,
0: a fun chance. I think certainly the best one for, for several years, although it wasn't particularly difficult given the problems in, in Doha, and mm. even though I enjoyed Eugene, it never quite caught, caught light in the same way. So yeah, it was a great chance. Very good. Are you, By the way, are you doing a voice recording of this? I'm not, i am do it now.
1: We're- apologies <laughs> we're near fights at this folks well i certainly am um yeah let's catch up a little bit about budapest i mean you obviously were there every night um and you know listeners will remember mike and i covered the daily action as much as we could so we we don't want to dig up old news but i think there were some things going on off track that you were particularly involved in and one of them that i wanted to talk to you about was the athletics integrity unit and they had a Conference press conference whilst at those World Champs. Maybe just by way of context, explain what the Athletics Integrity Unit are and what the specific conference was about.
0: So, while well, the Athletics Integrity Unit was set up a few years ago, people know track and field has had a big problem with with doping. Um, uh, particularly, I mean, uh, it was so bad that the, the I, IWF, as the former name for wild athletics, was you know senior officials were actually involved mm-hmm. in you know Russian athletes yeah. doped. Um, they paid money to have their sort of doping cases moved away. So it's an independent unit. I think it is sets the standard for all sports. And they actually do catch cheats. Uh, they use intelligence. They use a lot of the whereabouts stuff. And I, I know several high-profile names, London Marathon winners, Boston Marathon winners, Olympic medalists have, have been caught. So um, they they had, had a press conference in, in that uh, opening week. In Budapest, and I mean, they made some quite interesting things. They were um, David Hellman, who is the the chair, was quite critical of other sports, mm. said they weren't doing enough. They sort of put the bit into FIFA in particular, and the undercurrent was there that uh, sports, on the whole, aren't really doing enough to, yeah. to catch cheats.
1: Yeah, there've been a handful in the last few weeks in boxing. Uh, which other sports? There've been even one or two cycling, which is the first time in years that I can remember. But in general, I'd say athletics positives outnumber all other sports combined by about five to one.
0: Yeah, and I think it's not just. I think what
1: they, they, they realise is that
0: it's quite easy. I've spoken to Victor Conte, who famously was involved in the, the Balco mm-hmm. scandal nearly, well, 20 odd years ago now. And he sort of said, really, uh, you shouldn't be failing a drugs test. Mm. You know, it's. It, 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 most of the drugs now you can take them late at night they're out of the system by the morning so it mm. does rely on intelligence it relies on uh, actually trying to catch people very early in the morning perhaps when they're still with some drugs in mm. the system and doing them on the whereabouts system whether mm. they miss mm. three tests in, in 12 months and the iu is sort of that's that's been its real go-to i think it's realized that you can't just Take a sample after you know after a match or after you know a race mm. and, and expect to catch someone. I mean, we're not living in 1988
1: anymore. Yeah. Do you, if you had a quiet word with these guys away from the microphones and so on, almost off the record. What do you reckon their perception is of their own success? I think that's a good question. I, I've not
0: I've not asked them. and We do have lots of off the record mm. discussions. So I, um, I think they would rightly say they were best in class. I think they would accept that there are still a bunch of athletes getting away with with things. Um, And they would, I think, probably also accept that they could wish they had more resources even even though they're well-funded compared Mm. to a lot of sports. They would want more investigators, they would want more ability not just to do perhaps basic urine tests but more blood spot tests more um you I know mean, they brought more technology essentially but um one of the other things came out but they were talking we all know about the athlete biological passport mm. which is i think helped certainly with um drugs like epo they they were talking about there being sort of a, a better steroid part to the athlete biological passport which mm. again would let them better monitor potentially mm. deviations mm. and help them catch people
1: in the power events sprinting yeah and so on yeah. as well yeah, just by context for listeners, the, the current biological passport is blood only. And it's a blood doping detection tool because it looks at hemoglobin, hematocrit, and reticulocytes, which are immature red blood cells. And if you understand the relationship between those three things, then you can get an idea of whether the athlete might have extracted blood for use later, whether they've put that blood in or whether they're taking EPO because those three variables change in a, relatively predictable way, by a relatively predictable margin. The problem is they've got no such tool for things like steroid hormones, for growth hormone, insulin-like growth factor. And I was in a water conference, must have been 2017 in Rome, maybe 18, where they first presented data from this and the problem they had was it had almost no specificity, so it produces a lot of false positives. In the world of anti-doping, that's a problem because you could you could test a hundred people, and if five of them are doping, you'll catch fifty, and <laughs> forty-five of them will be unfairly caught. So they've obviously had to work quite hard on that. But you're saying they're not confident that they've got something that's ready for market, as it were.
0: Essentially, I think the the first bit I think is the the steroidal side of things. Mm. But I think in the longer term, they hope with with IGF growth factor one
1: and human growth hormone they will have. Mm. Uh, better better tools yeah do you remember there was a survey done and there was an accusation that the IWF tried to squash it where they asked athletes anonymously to say whether or not they would doped and something in the range of 30 to 45 percent depending on that they did it at Pan American Games they did it at a World Champs I think they did it at an Asian Championships but depending where you look 30 to 45 percent doped First question is: Any idea whether they'll redo really something like that? I think the, I would have thought it should be mandatory for sports to do it. Yeah, I don't think there's any, any chance of that, <laughs> that happening. Um, yeah. uh,
0: it's it's an interesting. I know that sort of some have have tried to criticize the that, mm. the whole survey survey approach. I mean, that was if you look back though, that was the period where. Um, uh, we still didn't. The Athlete' Body Passport was only just getting off the ground. Mm. The Russians, we now know, were, were mm. doping on mass. Mm-hmm. There were a bunch of other countries that we could both name. I think that were highly suspicious. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit like the Wild West yeah, back yeah. then. So it'd be interesting to. I mean, uh, when I've spoken to Dick Pound about this, uh, it used to be um, it set up. He was the first guy in Wada and, and yeah. sort of senior uh, uh, International Olympic Committee person. He's, his benchmark. He always thought it was about ten ten percent of, of of people, uh, professional sports people.
1: Right, at, at any given time. At, a,
0: at any given time now, but that was that was again a, several years ago, and I wonder whether his view may have changed. But I think that's probably not bad.
1: The problem Basically. I th- I think is that the definition of doping is probably changing also, and it's it used to be easy, right? It was steroids or EPO. Now it's mixture of two legal medicines, one with a script, one without, one for off-label use and one with a therapeutic use. Exemption. Here's your concoction, four different drugs, all of which are maybe ethically questionable, but when used together are performance enhancing.
0: No, I agree. I, I think, <laughs> but I think that legally that would not count as dopamine no, if you're no, taking no. a bunch of asthma meds and yeah. you realise that... I remember speaking to um, a British Olympian, a very successful one, who... This was before you know, he he competed in his first Olympics, but he he was asthmatic and um, you know, as a kid, mm-hmm. but it was a fairly mild asthma.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when a, a, a certain doctor came in and said, "Actually, no, you shouldn't be on this one. You should be on that mm-hmm. one," and and he said he said no, uh, he didn't, didn't think it was right. But he could have legally done so, and yeah, and sure. clearly we we know that certain mm-hmm. countries and, and athletes will as you say, they'll put a cocktail of legal meds and they're not doing anything wrong according to the wider code, mm. but they are probably driving some sort of additional benefit. Mm. Otherwise, they wouldn't
1: be taking it. Of course. Just on the survey, it's, it, it's yeah. not its not so stupid as to say to athletes, please make an X, yes or no, have you doped in the last year? It's not, it's not as basic as that. There was actually a, a specific methodology around surveying. I think it was called a discrete choice experiment where you would answer a whole series of questions designed to necessarily catch you out but for look for inconsistencies so it wasn't it wasn't as basic as you might be thinking but i still think that all sports should do that in every olympic cycle because even if you assume that half the athletes who dope don't tell you because they're still nervous i yeah. can't i can't be sure that my name isn't going to get out there and i've not confessed i still think that it would set the lowest level at which you can say we know at least this proportion dope. Potentially, although I, do, I think there's, that's one problem. I think the other
0: problem is sometimes athletes are able to convince themselves
1: that they're not, that, so.
0: then they're, that they're not mm. doing anything wrong. If perhaps they tell themselves others mm. are doing the same thing, therefore
1: mm. they are just going mm. the flow. So, the other way to get a handle on, or, or some indication, I guess, is to look, because every time an athlete gets tested, they have to fill in a declaration around what medicines, supplements, and therapeutic use exemptions they have. And so that might be the other way to get an indication of how widespread certain drug use is, I mean that's how they got mel- uh, Maldonium, um, plus they start test shadow testing for it. Dramadol, now on ban- the ban list as of next January, is that right? The first of January? Yeah, that's right, yeah. 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 So that's an interesting side issue. The other thing that came up at the A I U was Toby Emerson, and they said that that decision would be out the day after that. I know, and isn't. it still still isn't.
0: And, and, that, and that created all sorts of controversy, which yeah, I guess yeah. related that uh, you had some journalists asking her, in my mind, perfectly legitimate questions. I'm a good friend of Kathleen Dennehy. Mm. He, he asked about it. Uh, he was sh- shot down on social media by
1: other oh, quote-unquote journalists. Actually, at, I wanted to uh, ask you about that. Was it unpleasant or is, it, is the mixed zone? Because if you didn't watch this, by the way, or if hadn't followed it, Cahill is with the Irish Independent. That's correct. times. Uh, Independent. Uh, yeah. And he asks Toby Emerson after her first round, and she sort of has a sort of startled look, like, well, you're asking me that now? I've just finished a race. She looks at his name, she says, "Kathleen." and in that video did the rounds, he might have posted it himself. Yeah, he, yeah, But then the media contingent split into a group of, well, that's he's just doing his job, as opposed to this is bullying, victimizing Unfair, racist became an issue. Is the mix zone large enough that you could get through the week without that being a conflict or did it actually play out on the ground? I
0: think it did play a little bit on the ground. I mean, the, again, this is very, you know, inside, inside the beltway, so mm. apologies if, you know, but uh, athletes would come through and they'd speak to the print media first then mm. they sort of go around and they speak to more video media, more mm. influencers. And I think it's a really interesting debate uh, here, over here because, and we saw this in the Shikari Richardson press conference because after she won there were some asking
1: her about Mike Finch was one of them yeah and he asked her what I thought was also a really legit question because she'd had that poor start in the semi and it would then be the obvious thing is what did you do between the semi and the final did you go work on the start did you just put it out of your mind what was your mindset going into the final like to me it's a logical thing to ask she didn't take kindly to it, and then especially to the last question she got. But but yeah, yeah, yeah. Was I mean, spicy. Yeah, Jonathan Gold asked,
0: sort of basically said, last year you mm. didn't qualify for for you know, the, the final of the US trials. Now you're the world champion. What you know, what what right. changed? And she didn't like it. And there was someone else that gave a sort of a two minute eulogy to her, saying, you know, oh, you yeah, that but yeah.
1: that's not a journalist. That's a praise singer.
0: It is, but the, yeah, but I think yeah. you're seeing that in the in the mix zone right. more now. Mm. You have journalists that that you know we do rah rah, but we also ask. The Mm. tough questions Mm. but you have another set of of young generally younger um, people who actually don't see it as their role they see it they want to sort of Mm. help the athletes speak Mm. and in fairness to some of them they get better answers than the the traditional media and of course and because the athletes athletes (laughs) like speak to but I think your job as a journalist is always to hold power to account to always ask the, the difficult questions, yeah, to, yeah. and to find stuff that people don't want you to find out, and I think perhaps that that's other people don't see it that way. And I think the sport itself, and all sports have this, where back in the day you could, as a journalist, you could hang out a day with you know with the biggest film stars in the world. You'd spend mm. you know, but these days you might get five minutes from them on a press junket, and mm. because mm. they don't want
1: well, I mean, that you, part out. we're sitting here, as I said, in the Roland Garros press center. And I can see just over the way what I assume is the press region. You, you might have covered a French Open here, where the tennis players have the interviews. And it might have been here that Naomi Osaka refused to give an interview. It
0: would, it would, it would have been, yeah. You know, I wasn't been, here and that day. And,
1: and, yeah. and the athlete says, I'm not doing this because it's actually too stressful in my emotional state. I'm not, because the questions you ask are challenging and tough. And so what, but then at the same time, we look at No Lyles and. You say this is great for the sport because he wants to engage and he's actually putting himself out there. Sometimes even maybe in a way that causes like controversy, which is good for the sport. So it's just interesting your thoughts and like what the Co- line completely. is. Completely I think increasingly athletes and I'm not just talking about
0: track and field more generally, look at Instagram as a mm. sort of that they, they they want themselves on there and they see that as they're speaking directly to the fans. Mm and they don't regard the traditional media whether it's print or even broadcast as important yeah. but actually yeah. it's you know it's good for their quote unquote brand I think if they are able to to do that because you know I mean the, mm. the Guardian some of my reports you know, quarter of a million people are reading and if you if, if you're getting that and then you you know the Daily Mail is the same the Telegraph the Times I all mean, that, that's a million eyeballs mm. Mm. right there And but I think many athletes sort of I think that perhaps it's The way they've been brought up, they're they're media trained not to say anything. They have agents in their ear saying, don't say anything controversial. It might affect your relationship with your sponsor. Mm -hmm. And so we get this situation where athletes just talk about wanting to execute or being very bland. And it's hard to promote the sport uh, when athletes don't want to say anything. And that's why Noel Lars has been great. Mm -hmm. Whatever you think about Mo Mo Farah, who has his last race on, on Sunday... He always showed up. He, and many of these press conferences are out, were incredibly spicy. Mm. Um, uh, but, you know, he would always appear in front of the media. And I think, mm. whatever you think of Mo Farah, uh, the journalists respected him for that. But a lot of now, I think, the, the emphasis has changed.
1: Do you reckon I have these same conversations in Netherlands, Sweden, um, Ethiopia? Or is <laughs> this like an Anglo... It's a good good question. I mean, I think it
0: is just the way the media is going more, more generally. And mm. I wouldn't... Athletes don't want to give as much of their time. Now, there are mm. exceptions. Like, you know, I can name a bunch of people I can message and they'll get back to me and, mm. and they're great and we can mm. talk privately. But I think the mood generally is to sort of regard the, the media as hostile or something that has to be endured rather than yeah. actually could benefit you and also benefit the sport what frustrates me about track and field and Noel liles gets this when you say interesting things it's sort of there's a multiplier effect we talk about in economics Mm. i think the same Mm. thing applies to to these sports and you look at what mma have done you look at what boxing has done it it knows how to promote Mm. it knows how to promote promote the sport and i think um track athletes need to understand that it's not just about your performances on the track Mm. on the field Mm. You have to create a narrative around the sport, and yeah. you can't just do that in, uh, in nine days at World Championships.
1: Right, yeah. So, what's the solution then for that mix zone thing? Is it to say, here's an area of real media, <laughs> and then you can leave that area and you can go into the content creator social media? That, that's
0: what we have, that's what sort of, we have now, but you, it depends on the athlete, obviously, but you, you sometimes get very terse, short answers. Yeah, because those are my safe space, and go, and they go space. on. I'm going in my safe space. So, mm. um, I guess. Mm. But what what I thought was unpalatable at at, at the I mean, it was was another journalist, another accredited journalist, going after capital. And, yeah, and, and they were doing it
1: publicly. Yeah, and, I, just and to me, about on Twitter.
0: yeah. Some people say there's but, honour among thieves here, but I still think that's not something you should be doing where Cathal was asking perfectly legitimate questions and, and basically inst- instigating a pylon, which he had to then have to is there a, a is,
1: When you get accreditation for these events and you get sort of like guidelines, is there, an inst- is there a code of conduct? There is in to? most places, and mo- but not actually a World Athletics event. So I think that will change. So you must have to look at that, surely. Yes. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, and no, I mean, Toby Emerson... Who knows now that AI, AIU said they might appeal it. Yeah, they had
0: 40 days, I think, from memory, and we're yeah. going... We're going
1: we should have, It should have been out by now. Yeah, yeah, I
0: mean, yeah, but Howman uh, uh, was saying it meant mm. to be within five days, and, again, that's one of the things that, again, again, in sort of inside the beltway a little bit here, but what generally happens with AIU cases is they don't just announce the final verdict. They They will have a verdict. They will then send it to the the agent, the athlete, uh, advisor, and Mm. and, and they're allowed almost, because there might be some things in that report that identifies their address or whatever Mm. else, or there might be a couple of minor points they they want to sort of query, Mm. uh, and the IU will will, will, will respect that and listen Mm. to them. They won't necessarily go along, but there's a sort of a four- or five-day period, and she jumped the gun, by announcing she'd been cleared, cleared. on 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 that, uh, yeah. and um, yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I don't know why we've we've uh, we've we've mm. had to wait so long.
1: Yeah, back onto track. Um, highlights from Worlds for you, I suppose. Lyles winning three, Kipiai winning two. Others? Uh,
0: well, I mean, sh- under the radar. Sh- ones? Well, well, I mean, Shakira was the obvious other obvious one. Under the radar.
1: That's a good question. Um, I thought on on the sprinters, Shakira, yes. But Jackson, Sharika Jackson, for me, better. Yeah. Like they got the same medal sets. Yes. Okay, aside from the relay, but individually. But the 200 performance was better than the 100
0: performance. 100% agree. And it was quite interesting. Yeah. I, I was chatting um, mm. to Noah Lars's coach, Lance Bauman, um, after the 100. And I said, would you think the chances are we'll see a world record in the 200? And I was talking both mm. about Lars, but mm. particularly about Sharika. And, and he said, they're capable of it. But he said, there's no wind in the stadium. Mm. And there really wasn't. It was. Yeah, a, it, was it. A, and, uh, it was, and it was generally sort of minus zero point one or plus zero point one. Mm. And I think it, certainly in Shriya Jackson's case, yeah, the we'd following had, wind. If we would have had a strong, and less humidity. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. So um, yeah, I mean, she come now very close to twice breaking a, a record many would regard as questionable. And I think if the conditions were right in Paris. Speaking it, of,
1: her response of, to, that. to that question? Understandable. I mean, so, I, don't, I can't see an athlete saying, oh, yeah, by the way, I think my predecessor was dodgy.
0: She was asked the same no, she was asked the same question last
1: year. And uh, the question, incidentally, is, do you now consider yourself to be the fastest legal performer of all time? The implication being that the only woman faster than her, Florence Griffith Joyner, was in the 1988, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was either the trials or the Olympics themselves. And... Let's just say a lot of people have some question marks <laughs> about Florence Griffith Joyner. So they asked Eureka Jackson this, and she sort of incredulously said, no chance, never tested positive, that makes me number two. Yeah, that's the gist of it. She shut it down last year, so she actually went a little bit
0: further. I mean, whatever you think of Florence Griffith Joyner, it, uh, the 100 from memory was set in America where the wind gauge was apparently yeah, been for more than one year. Yeah, yeah mm. so you, know, you, you could, I think, legitimately say mm. you know she had a force 10 gale behind her, and therefore... You know, a, a mm. 10.49 shouldn't mm. be, be, be But be
1: I, saw, justified. I saw people like saying Jackson should condemn it, but I, I can't see most athletes would say. I mean, she did say it's stupid. You know, Florence for China never failed a test, they hardly ever tested an 88. No. Out-of-competition testing was only introduced in 1988, so <laughs> Griffith Joyner was only ever tested at races, and we know that's not... And, even and, like and, then and, it was useless. And, and, and she, she stopped pretty much straight
0: after the Olympics, so...
1: Um, yeah, I so mean... So it, it was a weak... Um, it was a weak, just, weak justification by Jackson, but I also... I'd have been very surprised to see any athletes say, you know what, yeah, I think they were dodgy back then. <laughs> Media-wise,
0: you... Particularly, it's not the end of the champs. You've still got, you know, a four by one yeah, there. Exactly, you're, you're going to create a storm. You're going to create a storm, <laughs> yeah. and so it, it, why I yeah. want athletes to speak out, and mm. I think generally they should be more forthcoming. I do
1: understand why you wouldn't mm. wouldn't go there. Has anyone asked Kip Yeager on that about breaking the Chinese record? Well, she didn't actually do it; it was debarber Yeah, but, but I wonder how what the middle distance perception is of those records.
0: Yeah, no, it's a fair fair question. Mm. Um, yeah, but she certainly wasn't asked. What's quite interesting about her. Keep the egg on. You keep the A on. Mm. It's despite all the many, many Kenyan positives. I know a couple of athletes who would believe it, but mm. she's who race against it. And I think they it's quite and it's quite interesting when you see when she's broken her world records, they're all crowding round her. Mm. They're all sort of smiling, all sort of being incredibly like well done. Mm. And I remember some other world records back in the day where perhaps times have changed, but the, some That's of the athletes weren't. Yeah, they kind of they weren't. Yeah, the the same athletes way. know.
1: I, think, I always yeah. get the impression the athletes know whether they reveal what they know is not story. Yeah, yeah, I agree with yeah. that. Uh, I suspect she's a lot more popular than her male counterpart. Not not world champ counterpart, but world sort of number one ranked fifteen hundred meter runner. Like <laughs> let's 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 talk Josh Kerr separately. Yeah. But Ingebrigtsen, I'd love to know the perception of him among his own opponents because I don't think. I don't think he cares, but he certainly doesn't endear himself to them. Or do they see him as, say, he brings publicity, good for us. My, the sense I get from speaking, and i be a little bit careful, I don't, but, I don't
0: is that I think there was some sympathy for the way he was brought up. Oh, yeah? Because if you've got a, a father like that, and one of the things that I think was, was preoccupied the Norwegian media uh, it was Nordas. Yeah, mm, and you've got... Mm. And Nordas and Jakob's father, Gear weren't staying in the Norwegian hotel. The, the relationships were very frosty. I mean, you imagine, you have trained this your lad all your life. You mm. sort of... And now you've, you're have you coaching a guy to beat your own son. by three hands of second, yeah. too. That would
1: have been a story. Yeah,
0: and, 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 yeah. and, I, and I think... And the other thing is the mm. way he was brought up in that very strange environment, essentially trained from a very young age to be an elite athlete, that perhaps doesn't leave you as rounded as an individual mm. as you would perhaps otherwise be. So I think there is some sympathy for his mm. the way he is, uh, and actually I I do believe him when he said he wasn't well. I think I don't think he. I think last year when he got beaten by Jake Whiteman, he was a bit of an ass about it, and the, and this and. The, and uh, the, the story I'm told is that before the 1500 metre final he was basically going around to everyone
1: saying you can't beat me yeah. you can't beat me this is what I'm going to do that, that's and the I'd... sort of thing I've heard that makes me ask whether he's <laughs> yeah. even the celebration of 120 to go I get it but if I was running against him I'd say just rein it in a little here like in I don't know, maybe I'm oversensitive to Maybe, this. arguably, though,
0: it's quite good for, you, for sport well, when no you've doubt got someone that's... If, um, if, if there's a
1: 1,500 race that he's in compared to a race that he's not in, I know which one I'm more engaged in, Yeah, for sure. I'm just always <laughs> curious to know what, what his status is among his own peers. Yeah, I've, I've not heard anyone absolutely slam yeah. him off, uh, yet, yeah, but uh, he certainly I think uh, yeah, could rub some up the wrong way. I think there's also a cultural thing in it. I think you see it in cycling with the Dutch, Belgian, and I know even from my own professional work, they are blunt. <laughs> and I wonder whether some of, the, some of the things Ingebrigtsen says are translated from Norwegian to English and maybe a bit blunt as a consequence of that.
0: I just and think I, he's very honest. I mean, I, yeah. I, I remember chatting to him in, in, a, in, in a mix zone and, and uh, after he, he broke the world record or world best in, in Paris. And I said, What other world records you know, could you break? All of them. And yeah, yeah he basically <laughs> said he said, Name them. And <laughs> yeah, I went with <laughs> And that was my question. And, uh, and I said, sort of yeah, two miles sure, five K, sure, ten K, yeah. Marathon, one day I'm gonna go up there and see. And he just he just says what he
1: There was two, one things. there was one funny one where they said to him, It might have been Carol or Jonathan Gore, said Did you doubt that you might win this five thousand? And he said, Yes. <laughs> then for how long did you have that done? Four thousand nine hundred and fifty meters. But yeah. <laughs> well, because he hadn't that's been, well, he hadn't been yeah. well, and he said afterwards
0: that he, yeah. the, the race had to be run a certain way, very slow, and someone, could tear kick with a couple of hundreds go. That was the way he thought he could he could win. And that's what happened. And that's
1: what happened. I couldn't if, believe they let that happen. No.
0: If they had a, if they had, so had yeah. been doing sixty second laps from an early yeah. stage, I, mean, I think he would have. Tailed. I mean,
1: if you're a, if you're a three twenty seven guy and you go through three k's in eight minutes, you're thinking. This is my lucky day, because now all i got to do is my, my thing. That's mad. I couldn't believe that. No, I agree. Um, speaking of Kip Yagon, yes, two medals, Lars got three. I still think she's the best individual athlete, because that 1,500, 5,000 is strong. It's just, the 100 seems to me quite weak, time-wise. Yeah. Like, what's the world leader, 983?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it mean no, so no. in a long time. What, yeah, no, it's very interesting that we have this. And that's with the shoes. Well, that's with the shoes and the yeah. faster tracks, and I mm. think, um, and, I mean, the various reasons for that. But yeah, you're right. You, if you, if you're given, say, let's give the athletes a tenth for the, the shoes, which mm. maybe is correct, and it's maybe just scraping
1: a tenth. Yeah,
0: maybe another bit for the yeah. tracks now compared to the tracks in the eighties mm. and nineties. Yeah, you, you could be like, mm, almost the best part of two
1: tenths. That, yeah, that, you know, yeah. That, and yeah. So I think I think it is a comparison. And yes, and I looked at this just before World Champs. 28 men between 9.85 and 9.99. 9, 9. So, like crazy depth, but no. No. Crazy yeah. breadth, but no depth.
0: You all know this better than me, but I was chatting to someone out there about Kip Yeagan and what she could do over 800 if she really pushed it.
1: Yeah, well, and she closed her, her, her 1500 in Rio, one, one of her goals in 157. Yeah. And that's all the back. And that was around 352 or 353 at the time, <laughs> just is insane.
0: Someone suggested to me that if um, if someone suggested to me that if we um, if she trained and had proper pacemakers, makers, they said I bet she'd get close to a hundred meter world record. Now, I mean, you would know better than mm. me whether that's possible, but maybe she can go fifty four of the final lap of a fifteen, and she can't perhaps necessarily do
1: two laps very very
0: quickly. Mm. But it'd be be interesting to find out. They they should really put on a special race. They for should, her.
1: yeah. The other thing she's got to do is get the three thousand because then she'd have the set yeah. that used to be the Chinese owned and then and, but she's in a dilemma because she'll want to do 15.5 in Paris and then after that she might be done on the track who knows but so does she, if she goes 15.5 where does she get the 8 from because if it goes to the 8 she won't maybe have the 5 but then again if you, you just hope they run it as stupidly as they do anyway and you, you, you can win it as an 800 meter runner I reckon there's some 800 runners who'd win a medal in the 5000 the way they run that race 100% but yeah. maybe,
0: maybe perhaps after Paris yeah. you know, she might decide you know yeah. what I'm just going to do you train. reckon if
1: if, if she uh, Hassan and Tego ran the 15 5 10 they'd win all 9 medals between them <laughs> I think they <laughs> could just about maybe yeah. Gida. Maybe Guide could mess it up in the team. Yeah,
0: and, and we're talking about um, yeah. the accumulated fatigue, I think. <laughs> if, if if Gide just, yeah, I think Gide would sneak yeah. a medal. Yeah, at least.
1: But they are they're so superior between the three of them. Right? Um, what's this? I saw Sebastian Coe at a conference in Zurich talking about a new event in 2026 three days best in the world every, all the full programme in three days what, what is that do you know well I, I mean I, I, I can see where he's coming from here at the moment it's, it's too spread out it, and it, too, it's, yeah, it doesn't have density if,
0: well every four years mm. we have an off year so we have Olympics then we have two world champs that's right yeah the even and,
1: the odd the, the, yeah every second even year exactly yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. so we you know for, yeah. for, for us you know, we have the Commonwealth Games and in Europe we have the European Champs which actually do well but the rest of the area champs don't and Coe's mm. point is that actually every other sport has these big set-piece events every year. And mm. track doesn't in those, those mm. years. Mm. So he his solution, because he accepts that the European champs will go ahead, he accepts that probably Commonwealth Games go ahead, although that's not so clear mm. at the moment. It's changing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you do have at least another world champs, even if it's a short, where mm. you'd have, you'd have mm. 16 athletes mm. for the track events and eight for the field, you would at least then get... Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, world champs that you would get eyeballs, the casual fans that don't mm. follow every coffin spit of the Diamond League would come mm-hmm. along and watch
1: I'll tell you, my, my biggest frustration in Budapest is I'd look at the programme, say on a Wednesday night, I'd say, right, finals tonight men's 400, women's 400 hurdles for, for example yeah. but the broadcast is three and a half hours long and I'm going to see exactly 95 seconds worth of finals on the track and then I'm going to do that, when nine. this doesn't have density no, And but, yes, the semi-finals are interesting, engaging races and so on, but I don't know, I just think in a world where everything is shorter, shorter, compact, that three-day thing seems like a, it'll, it'll be more popular than a world's. Potentially. I mean, I,
0: I think Co agrees nine days is too long, and I think that it mm. will come down. You've got to think, though, if you are bidding for these things... If, you, if it's over seven days, you're gonna sell a lot more tickets. Yeah, it's a 20% reduction in your revenue. You know, so mm. that, 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 that's, mm. you know, particularly when you've got, you know, you, mm. athletes' flights will have to be paid for, athletes' hotels will have to be paid for. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, you know, Hungary, I think they, they said that, I think it was 95% tickets were sold, and that would have helped them make a mm. profit. But you are gonna, if, if, you, want, if, you, want, if you don't want sorry, all these events going mm. to dictatorships and the like, <laughs> you know, events need to yeah. make money.
1: Where are we next? We're in Tokyo next, yes. and then it's undecided. It's voted on next year. Yeah. Do you know frontrunners? runners? Uh, I I know all five, but I'm not.
0: You know a lot of. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, but I, I, I think two are public. South Africa's is not one of them.
1: No. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I'll tell you off fair. Okay, we'll. I went off. Uh, what was I going to say? I do, I think Europe needs to have every second one. I saw that, it's not my opinion incidentally, I saw it on Let's Run, they did a wrap of it, and they said, it, because Europe is just the heart of track and field, and you just see it. I remember Helsinki 205, I remember London, admittedly off the back of the Olympics. Berlin this, 2009. Berlin, great events, and then they just miss, they lack something when they're east or west of Europe. Tokyo 25 might be different, great athletics culture, and they miss the Olympics, maybe they can but I just think it needs to be in Europe for a boost every well, two years, every four years.
0: said this, that you, when you have packed stadiums, when mm. even in the first couple of days, you know, you're starting with a strong full out, you're sending a, a, a similar yeah, message to, to fans mm. and people on telly, this
1: matters. Yeah, you know, we well, can yeah. tune into yeah, something- it's, it's an empty stadium, you kind of think, mm. yeah. If, no, if, just, just the other night, we were, in fact, we'll do this tonight, we'll walk down a Parisian street to find a place to go, and we will go to the place with a queue outside us. <laughs> Yeah. Either side of it will be empty, but everyone will go into one with a queue because the queue means value. It's the same content. It's human Completely. nature. It's human uh, economics. So. I agree. Listen, let's change Tech. Let's change what brings you to Paris?
0: Uh, I'm here for the start of the World War Cup. Yeah. Uh, I'll cover the first game between France and New Zealand. Uh, I mean, I, my beat includes writing, obviously, for sports pages, but for major events for our news pages. So I'll, I'll be writing a sort of a general mm. preview mm. and, uh, yeah, just getting sort of mood here in Paris. And, and obviously, we're only... Know, what, 10 months or so out before uh, the Olympics mm. as well? So mm. it's a sort of, you, you, I don't think the Rugby World Cup would call it a curtain raiser for the Olympics, but it's certainly sort of part one of an of a, of incredible um, 11 months of sport here.
1: What's your sense of the sentiment around the rugby? I mean, obviously, I'm immersed in the world rugby medical scientific area, so I've got a different perspective. And you'll have one that's different. If I if asked a French rugby fan, I'll get a completely different answer from what I expect you're about to give.
0: Um, I mean, it's, a, it's obviously a major event. I think the problems and challenges rugby has is perhaps sustaining it, the mm. narrative for two months. It's a long tournament. Mm. It has to be, because it's not like football or yeah. basketball where they can play perhaps every three or four days. That's one issue. I guess the second issue, and maybe it will change this time around, is that it, it would be nice if, 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 you know, if the Fijis, if the Tongas can perhaps we don't just necessarily see and maybe because of the, the way the draw shaped out we want to say that the, um, the
1: draw actually helps that side of the argument No, yeah. but it
0: wouldn't shock anyone i think if argentina perhaps were in the semis or maybe even the F- i mean Fiji have lost their fly half one of the fly half yeah but mm. you know they beat england recently it wouldn't necessarily shock you if they qualified in their group and, and then would, would, would play in Argentina or, or England in, in, in a quarter and suddenly they're, they're a great story so I think as a journalist you're always looking for not only um great narratives but you, you're looking for surprises and shocks and just rugby the very nature of sport it perhaps makes it a little bit harder it's not because look taking soccer for instance it's a, it's a generally a low scoring game so you you, know, you can have the likes of Cameroon beating Brazil because they stick 10 men behind yeah, the there's ball jeopardy and score, there. there's jeopardy there yeah. and, and yeah I, I mean God, mm. look at Japan v, v, v South Africa in, in 2015 there's always yeah. one or two matches that will shock and surprise yeah, then, you however yeah. Just the nature of rugby, the physicality, the the, the levels of investment from one country to another makes it perhaps perhaps harder for as many shocks and dramas. Yeah, and the the thing is,
1: in this tournament, I'd say there are four, maybe four strong clear favourites. I put two on sort of tier B. But the problem is the way that the draws worked out is all four on one side, (laughs) and so only two make the semis. So that's a pity... And I know no, they're really looking at the draw, incidentally. Like, the problem is the draw at the moment's done three years out because the host union wants to know where everyone's playing because it enables them to sell the tickets and plan the packages and so on. And they so would have, have it wanted f- to sell the tickets out before the Paris 2024 Olympic mm. tickets yeah, would have wanted to no, sell Yeah, now you got well. double, double demand and wallets. Yeah, yeah so because a one-year draw would have changed the complexion of this tournament completely and, and, and you look at even Scotland who are you know a fifth in the world mm, they are in that same pool as same, us in Ireland yeah, yeah. South African Ireland yeah um, certainly in the English media a lot of rugby coverage is dominated by negativity the financial state of the game there the folding of clubs the concussion lawsuits, and so on do you how, how do you break that and make it positive and especially when your team's not winning that's true. I mean I think perhaps it's the nature of journalism itself mm.
0: that if, if you're average or something just hum along, mm. it's not very exciting. You're, perhaps you're either in triumph or, or, or crisis, mm. and that's where we are with England at the moment. You know, a team that's conceded thirty tries in nine matches this year, that's lost to Fiji, um, that has lots of off the field issues, lots of field issues with the game. Inevitably, that's going to be the focus. Whereas, again, for the years after. 2003 it was all rah-rah that's just I guess the nature of our our business how do you change it I mean England have you know, the, the draw from heaven here mm-hmm. really if they you know you would you yes, say that but they Argentina made, yes
1: and then Samoa who will be laughing yes, at the mouth they due, will be yeah and, I think Japan aren't, aren't quite what they were
0: but nevertheless if you can get yeah. through that group stage and then you are probably playing Wales or, or Fiji or Australia or Australia yeah. Um, yeah. none of which are impossible uh, yeah. yeah. and then suddenly we're in a semi-final and right. I'm not suggesting we're going to win it by any means but, but uh, I think the narrative will, that's how the narrative will change at least in the short term
1: yeah yeah and I think and I mean I hate to bring it back to this having just said it, I wish it wasn't about this but when it is as close as it is between four or five teams injuries and red cards are potentially decisive because that Let's say an injury's worth two or three points and a red card is worth six. No, and I you agree. Could, you could have a nine-point swing. And suddenly England beats Ireland or France or us, whoever. I mean, it's reflecting
0: the bet in the top four. Mm. Uh, I, I think I'm right in saying New Zealand are around three to one. They still won. Yeah. Even and then, after the warm-up match. Y- yeah, and, fr- <laughs> and fr- France are just behind. Then it's South Africa around around four to one, nine to two. Then Ireland about five to one. I'm surprised Ireland's gone that low. Well, they've never... I know they're right, well, world ranked number one, but they've never got beyond the quarter final. So I think there's perhaps mm, that sort of mm, sense of a bit of a uh, can we really sort of not just jump yeah. one hurdle, but, yeah. but
1: a couple? The biggest challenge for Ireland is I don't know exactly the draw, but I do know they play all their big games consecutively. They they get their let's call them four, and lack of a better word, lesser minnow teams. Then it goes Scotland, South Africa, or vice versa quarter final, semi final. And to win, Five matches over basically four weeks, one month of play, that's a super difficult, very rarely get that right. Co- completely. And,
0: and, and over a tournament like this, as you say, it's not just about your, 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 mm. your 15 or even your mm. bench
1: players, it can be the, the depth of the squadron. Yeah. And, and Whereas I mean, England, uh, sorry, New Zealand France play, obviously, the opening game and then have a relatively low-key four weeks before a quarter-final semi. So that seems like the f- more favourable welfare health draw. Completely, yeah, completely agree, yeah. and, and yeah, uh,
0: uh, Scotland that that team mm. that no one re- that sort of third level t- team that no one would have wanted in the, in, no, their, in their group. I, I would really...
1: not be surprised if Scotland beats one of or both Ireland and us, yeah. South Africa. <laughs> no. Yeah, so that'll be really interesting. Yeah, um, on the head injury front, I know you you're, you come from a family in boxing. In fact, Aina, my its chief medical officer said to me yesterday, your, "Was it your uncle, Coach Nassim? Great, great uncle, yeah, great, great uncle, uncle. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. He mentioned the name. Ah, yeah. And my, my, my grandfather was the first Irishman to win a European amateur title. He was oh, seventeen. Yeah. It was nineteen thirty nine, and uh, he, yeah. he went to new. Uh, sorry, he went. He, they went to America. The Irish team and they fought some of the best boxers in, in Soldier Field in Chicago. And he beat the, um, the American, whoever. And, and Gene Tunney, the former heavyweight champion oh, yeah, of the world, was, yeah. was there. And, and Gene Tunney wanted to manage him. And mm. the story goes that he also fell in love with the, an American society harass. But he loved his... Um, he got homesick, but you know, he's 17, 18. Yeah. And, and essentially... And he'd already promised um, uh, his, his wordy turned professional with um, uh, the top English promoter, a guy called Ted Broad... Cropper, yeah. and so yeah, he basically turned Gene Tunney down, came back back to Ireland. The World War Two broke yes, out, so sorry. he was he was fighting as professional while working in the sawmills in, in Dublin. In and German then, then we
1: came trainer to. Well, no, that
0: was my that was my so that, so that, that, was, that was, was my grandfather. Oh, but, oh and, was, and, 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 so your great uncle and, was, yeah, the, all, was the
1: boxer. Yeah,
0: and then but we I come from catching. my I had um, yeah, fifteen yeah. my my dad had fifteen um, uncles and aunts, Irish family. And so Brendan was one of the, yeah. the younger ones, but I would go up quite. Because so I went to he was in Sheffield in the UK, and I was in Union Sheffield. So I'd go every every week and just the benefits of his wisdom. And he was it was remarkable what he did. He'd have a bunch of kids that had been expelled from school that society they couldn't do with, and they'd they'd go to him. And within you know a year or two, they weren't turned professional or
1: anything, but they they had their life turned around. He found them a job, and it was extraordinary that I know. So here's some tangential, but I think you'll know where I'm going with it. Would that life-changing benefit of sport been possible if it wasn't boxing? It's a great question. Because, it's a, because boxing brings with it largely, and look, I'm no boxer, but I think because of the threat of physical contact and injury, it's violence, it's controlled, disciplined violence. I, would, I can easily see how it would create a better lever with which to channel a young man's issues than playing football? It's a great question. But both can do it. But I just wonder whether boxing...
0: There's a sign at the gym in Winkerbank, Sheffield, which I think is still there, but my my great-uncle put up. It it would say, boxing can seriously damage your health, full stop. But it can also teach self-discipline, respect, Mm. etc, etc. So he was very blunt with it. And he knew about... The dangers of boxing. He was a professional himself, mm. and he'd seen others. Most of the sparring at that gym, and these were world champions, but it seemed Hamid, Johnny Nelson, and so on and so on, would be body sparring. He didn't like we didn't want to hit. head sparring. They do it now and again with head guards and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. an awful lot of it was
1: body sparring because in his his view, yeah. um, you know, he he knew. Mm. Mm. And so the reason I ask is that it's we, we're obviously, as you know, in the midst of this debate around rugby and its safety concerns and so on. And it's it's only really ever covered from the side of the risks. And when you try and say there are benefits, yeah, they could play football, they could play hockey, they could play tennis, but I think rugby brings the same thing. it's actually the the, the risk and the physical contact is the appeal. And there are journalists and people who I don't think value it as much as they should. Because, however, you weigh up the risks, you've got to consider what's the other side of that. It's a balance, risk versus benefit to me. And the benefit, I I think people overlook the benefit of we're sitting here and they're playing highlights of World Cups gone past. The benefit is that big contact I'm just watching there on the try saving tackle. It's It's this. Yeah, so it's just always frustrating to me that we have such a one-sided conversation about these things.
0: And the benefits, and not just in rugby, but other sports, that if you are very good, the the financial rewards, the, the fame, right, or whatever yeah, else. Yeah. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell has been talked about this for years, and uh, we have a mutual friend, David Epstein, who's mm. who's good friends with with Malcolm. And uh, the idea that maybe in you know by twenty fifty in American football, he suggests that everyone will know the risks, and it will be very much like poor kids, or that the no, essentially, there's a piece of paper at the start that says, you know, you could there's an X percent chance of this happening. Mm. However, you know, you, you, you roll the dice and you could end up being a multimillionaire. And yeah. I, I guess these days people are going to know the risk, but it may be when you're 18, 19, 20, you kind of oh, think, it's no not chance. going to be
1: me. No, you've got no chance. I mean, people know the risks of smoking. They know the risks of drinking. There'll still be 20,000 drunk people tonight in every city in the world. Yeah, yeah. So... People are really bad at modifying present behavior based on future risk. And that's the, that's the danger with CTE. And that's what also frustrates me. Some of these campaign groups will say, just educate the players about the risk. Education does not change behavior significantly. That's the b- bottom line. Present incentives change behavior. Never forget, I used to see um, anti-smoking campaigns warning about lung cancer when you're in your 60s. Say I'm 25. I don't care. I'm interested in being cool right now. And then the campaigns that were successful, the ones that made you look uncool for smoking. So, for instance, they'd show an attractive young woman with black teeth and say, "Think smoking makes you cool?" Yeah, no. <laughs> that that works. No, I agree. So anyway, that's but, that's sort of ta- that's marketing, now. Yeah,
0: but then of course you know all sports and all governing bodies have got fears over lawsuits mm. and whatever. So, so there's a lot there's a lot going on there. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see how how sports change and modify I mean we've seen a lot in American mm-hmm. football I spoke to the NFL sort of chief doctor Alan yeah. yeah yeah. He, when he came mm-hmm. over I mean, a couple of years ago and I mean he was talking about how much helmet technology had helped which I mm-hmm. believe it's but really at the same time t- how, t- yeah. how much stock they put in helmets yeah but at the same time yeah. pretty much every game someone will go off with a concussion
1: yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, they've yeah. changed obviously some of the tackle yeah. laws and, they'll say imagine that in the helmets. yeah three a match no, but they really, it's really interesting, they really believe in helmets, and we meet with them at least once a year, we're in New York, December, but I was also there in May, and they got a biomechanist, very impressive guy, engineer, who said to us, why don't you have helmets in rugby? I said, uh, because the soft shell never been shown to work, and we showed him some photographs of what they look like, and so on. He said, if you gave me more volume, I could make a helmet that would work for you. So he said, but you have to have the volume, and that's why the American football helmet, you know, it's a... It's a shell around a soft casing and there's, so there's space in, the way he explained it, it's like a, it's like a scaffold around which you can then dampen the acceleration of the head using the space. And the head in rugby doesn't do that. The foam doesn't do that well enough. That's, no,
0: I have I've spoken to a few um, engineers and, and, and biomechanists and I remember speaking to one, God, we must be going back almost a decade uh, in, in Purdue University and they had done a bunch of MRI scans on high school girls' soccer. Mm and this is the sort of thing oh, that, I remember that study, yeah, yeah and they remember yeah. this is yeah. the sort of I, mean, I think back then I used to think it was the crunching hits it was the big concussions and, mm. that. and actually they were saying that if you pick you know, if you, if you hit a ball you could get that small bruise and then say you have a clash of heads a week later that could almost be worse than mm. just the one it could be the, you know and, and then yeah. there's lots
1: of that's the eternal dilemma right so then, then in theory what you should do is you should say after a concussion four weeks out but you know what would happen no one would ever tell you they were concussed and the and this is we know this because we have the data on this from literally hundreds of concussions. By far the best way to detect a concussion is if a player reports a symptom. You can do balance tests and memory tests and cognitive remember Donald Trump cameraman, T V woman, <laughs> like name recall, yeah. word recall. Those things they catch a few concussions, but more than half are symptom based. And so if you say to players, your concussion will now cause you to have a mandatory 28-day, 21-day whatever stand-down, they'll just stop telling you. It's three matches. There's my 300,000 euro a year contract at risk because I'm missing three matches. It's not going to work. So we have to... That's the challenge. Is like you can't just fix it, theoretically, in the real world. You know, you know what I mean? It's just, just... And yeah, people don't always appreciate that, that challenge, that dilemma. So yeah, yeah, I saw yesterday, did you see the Australian Parliament came out with a statement. I missed that. No. Yeah, it was, an, it was published yesterday evening, I think. Uh, because they'd had a similar inquest. I was going to call it an inquisition, but let's not use that word. They'd had a similar inquest as your UK parliament did. Remember, and yours concluded that sports must monitor concussions, have a central database. Yeah, even doubt, if in, if in they sit them yeah, out. and that's living, basically yeah. what the Aussies have said. And we look at this and we say, well, okay, there's eight recommendations. We think we're doing them all. So <laughs> has this moved the needle or has it just generated headlines it's a difficult one but yeah. and I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like we're apathetic towards it because we are working hard and in fact we've got two things coming up like you're knowing the host candidates I can't, can't tell you folks this I'll tell you all fair two big things potentially one is going to be a, we had a meeting in Boston about CTE this chronic traumatic encephalopathy neuropathological change there's a mouthful and we got a statement coming out about that and our intended actions and then the second is one of those actions which will be announced I hope soon so that will be a big development coming coming next you know but it's difficult because the sport has to change but not too much but if it doesn't change enough then it goes <laughs> so it's a calibration exercise that we're constantly fighting and trying to run you know based mm-hmm. on evidence that comes too slowly you know it is in science completely I no. saw so something the other day actually they say in the medical world, from the moment that research begins till you see a change in clinical practice, 12 years is the average time. Imagine we took—imagine we took 12 years to change something. But then you have this sort of peanut gallery saying, "Change it now!" On, based on what?
0: Yeah,
1: it's very difficult. 100%. Yeah. Right, so yeah, let's hope that that doesn't become the story of this World Cup. I'd rather—I don't want red cards and concussions to be ahead of tries and.
0: You will know me better than me. The average can con- con- number of concussions in a, in a rugby match. Mm, um, it's two every three matches. Yeah, so therefore, I think, I think it's a fairly safe bet mm. that a concussion will be one of the... Th-
1: it will threes. be. So 48 matches, we would anticipate... At the last World Cup, there are 24, 25. Just 13 per 1,000 hours. And if it, was in, if it was in line with global standards, there'd be two every three games. So what's that? 32 concussions. And that's okay. What you don't want is a concussion that the whole world sees... Except the medical doctors and the team doctors, he keeps playing. <laughs> then it's a story, and yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. you don't want. And then, and it's, and it's so bad for the player. But it's interesting you say thirty-two is okay because a lot of people
0: listening to this will say that's not.
1: Mm, okay. I know, I know. That's the problem, and the big problem for the sport is that it exposes forty-six people per match to to the. It's a it's a high volume activity. So you know the NFL is the same. It's you know what's it eleven on the 50 20th. 50-odd people are exposed. So if you look at it that way, you've got a one in, I don't know, 65 chance or something. Too high? Yeah, maybe in some people's eyes. But trying to get it low. When When is it low enough? Zero? Never going to happen. Ten? Who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: but going back it's to boxing, boxing, you wonder with boxing, how long can the
0: sport... Maybe survives is the wrong word, but, but certainly if, if someone is knocked down and it's from a head punch there must be a fairly high percentage chance that that person is concussed.
1: Yeah, and they don't count them and like that. And they don't
0: actually, count them like that. No. So that to, you, you do wonder if, you know, if we talk a lot about rugby, we talk a lot about American football, we don't talk as
1: much about boxing, when to mm. me it's, it's more obvious. I'm yeah, I mean, if, if you watch on Friday night, let's hope, and let's hope it doesn't happen, but if a player takes a hit, goes down, gets straight back up, and then staggers two or three steps, concussed. And that's a definition. That's operationally defined as a concussion. In boxing, you can be knocked out and lose the ten count—the count of ten—and you're still not concussed. They'll only diagnose it after the fact. In some, maybe it's not all boxing unions or federations, but in some, that's the case. Yeah. So we do we do count necessarily aggressively. So that's that's the other thing. So yeah, I mean, it, anyway, let's not um, dwell on that. Let's hope that it goes with the same number we've seen before, or fewer. I hope. I mean, obviously, we want to see fewer of them. You know. So. So um, you're in opening game. Yeah. Then, then no back more, home. Then back no home, more? and then maybe out of England, uh, get get
0: Covered get get bit. through to the semis, and then, then perhaps I'll be back. And Could happen. Not impossible. What else is coming up on your sports journalism agenda? Uh, well, I, I'm not going to be there now, but I'll write about it. Mo Farah's last race on Sunday, at the Great North Run, uh, Rider Cup. Uh, That's in Italy, right? Yeah, in Rome. Yeah, yeah at the end of yeah. the month. Yeah. Uh, and then world road running champs is in latvia right it is yeah i, I alas i won't be covering that but it'll yeah. be interesting it's the first one so it'll be interesting mm. Mm. To see how that goes and that
1: goes all the way from the mile to the half marathon yeah yeah it's pretty good
0: i know i mean I, i'm all i'm all for it but again we talked about this a bit off heads how do you sustain the narrative mm. of, of, of something like track and field for um for the whole year and i think that's one way they're trying to do it but I'm not convinced it will necessarily be a game changer yeah and then the Olympics next year big focus absolutely yeah. I mean it's an incredible 10-11 months for, for French sport and mm. uh, I mean I love World Cups as well but I still think the Olympics is sort of you know, probably just about number one
1: yeah yeah. Mike was saying in Budapest that it was quite clear that whilst the athletes do value that world championship medal the Olympics is yeah and even, mean, even though it's the same
0: field same yeah, athletes exactly, but yeah no.
1: exactly Speaking of, one of our listeners, Stuart Strang, sent in a suggestion that, as in cycling, we have a rainbow jersey as a world champion. Track and field should have something similar to, to identify its world champions throughout the year.
0: They do? Don't they do something like on something numbers? The, yeah, yeah, but, like but yeah, no one yeah, no, knows I, that I, think
1: I mean, in Budapest, you had a green one for, I think, world lead, and a gold one if you were the defending world champ. But it's, yeah, it's fair. But for for you know, so if if Noel Lyles runs in... Okay, so he's not running again, but let's say he was... Something to identify them. But then you go into you know, sponsors sponsor. and whatever else, so... That's true. The sponsor, but but they, they navigate that with cycling. That's true, yeah. yeah but so I, it's still a Yambo Visma jersey. It's still like, when it's... Who's, yeah. who's the world champion now? I can't remember who won it. Uh, it's still going to be the Alperson mechanic yeah, jersey. I,
0: it's not the worst idea in the world. Mm. I, I'll put it to Sebco next time I say him.
1: Yeah, it's via Stuart... Via us, via from Stuart train. <laughs> Listen, Sean, it's been cool catching up. We're going to catch up further, but not on camera, later over a Parisian wine potentially on the river sometime. Great. Sounds good. It's been good to see you. And thanks all for watching. We'll catch up with you again soon. Bye bye.